0: Well, good morning. There you go. That's all right. That's that's a that's a halfway decent reply back, you know? So, we're halfway decent today. It's all right. So, um let me uh let me uh, kind of uh, just give you a little additions here. So, um one of the things again, we want we're, we're 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 striving to be very intentional with what God tells us we ought to be and how we ought to live. And one of the there's two key things that really um, sum up everything God tells us in the scriptures. And it's it's really, it's about loving God. And this is one of the things we're studying right now is worship. It's a, it, This is a way of loving God and loving others. And there's so much the Bible says that we ought to be together in. And that's, that's really, you got to be intentional about that. Because we don't live in little bitty, uh, little towns and little... Uh, little communities like they did once upon a time ago. I mean, we're spread out all across, so we want to be intentional. That's part of why we're given five minutes to turn and greet. It's like, because um, you just can't build uh, much, uh, much of a relationship at all with a good 45 seconds of handshaking with the people who are closest to you. So we give a little extra time for that. One of the other things that we're doing, again, is just uh, on Wednesdays, uh, I'm just, we just started this last month, and we're just going to keep going with it, but we'll pick a place to eat. And if you are nearby, we invite you to come, and it's a great way to get to know me and let me get to know you, but also to get to know other people that are part of this church that that you've become a part of. And so this Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, we're going to meet at Kenny's Burgers over there on um, Preston Road, and it's like kind of off of Spring Creek. Yeah, it's in that vicinity, but it's not right on Spring Creek though, no, but but. But they got some pretty champion burgers over there. So, all right. Now, um, now you got to know. You need to get there early. Uh, we, we're going to start at eleven thirty because they fill up. And uh, Miss Georgie, um, she says she's been inviting folks. So this will be a good time to get to know all kinds of people. Because um, she likes those burgers. Apparently, is like so. Um, they, and I could testify they're good burgers. Been there one time before. So if you if you're willing and you're available and in the area. Uh, Wednesday at 1130, we're going to meet there. And I'm, I, my plan is I hang out till nobody was, wants to hang out anymore. All right. And then, of course, we're studying the book of Nehemiah on Wednesday evenings and invite you. We're, now that spring breaks over, we're going to be back doing that this Wednesday at 630. And then Shelby kind of mentioned this. This this little engager is what it's called. Um, it's, it's an invitation to come alive. Now, we've put our information about Willow Bend Church but this is something that could that can be a tool to you, um, a tool for you to share the good news of the gospel at people at your work and in your neighborhood, and it just unfolds and it kind of just tells a story about it. Says, starts two thousand years ago, the world was changed forever because Jesus Christ changed the world forever. I mean, we set our clocks by what he did back then. All right, and it just it talks about the significance of Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. And it's an invitation to come alive. And listen, I I learned this. I didn't meet Jesus till I was almost 18 years. And there's a difference in the life that you have when Jesus Christ is in your life. I mean, I would testify to you that um, almost the first 18 years of my life, I wasn't really living. Sure, I was breathing, and I would laugh, and I would eat, and I would sleep, and I did things that looked lifelike. But compared to what Jesus Christ has done once I gave him my life, it, 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 that's why it says in the book of First John, it says, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. As a walking dead man. A lot of folks out there, they have kind of a version of life, but they're, but they're dead in their sins. And so this is a mechanism that you can share the good news of what God has done by sending his son Jesus and what Jesus did for us on the cross. And if they want to go a step further, we've included, hey, this is where, where we meet what times we're at, and uh, come and, and know this God on a deeper level, all right? And so these are back there on this back table, the, the table that's marked live sent. I hope you'll grab a bunch, all right, and just uh, and share them. And um, I'll force me to print up a whole bunch more for next Sunday, okay? All right? Make me work. Challenging you to challenge me. How about that? So uh, this month, we've been looking at what the Bible says about worship. I mean, that is why we've gathered here today, for the, for the sake of worship. Um, uh, I've now, I've been in ministry for about 25 years, and, and here's one of the things that I've learned about worship. What I've learned is that everybody seems to have an opinion on it. That's one of the things that I've learned. Everyone has an opinion, and everybody has an expert opinion. They know what songs they like what style they prefer, how loud the music should be, how bright the lights ought to be, um, whether we should be singing out of hymnals or using a screen, um, uh, what kind of seats ought to be in the sanctuary, uh, even the style of clothes that other people need to be wearing. Um, Opinions, opinions, opinions. And everybody is quite certain that when worship is done right, that the worship would pretty much match their preferences that's what i've I've figured out but but what does God think about our worship? I mean in a way, worship is like a a gift that we're giving to God. Um, have you ever received a gift from somebody maybe at Christmas or or your birthday and when you open the gift, you had to pretend that you were glad to receive it because because you look at this thing and you're like Uh, this this person who's giving the gift they maybe their intentions were as good as could be but but they don't know you at all and they offer to you something that it's like gosh if they knew me at all they would know that uh a cheese log filled with garlic is not something that i'm going to enjoy you know um i got that gift once and my good intention mother-in-law she was like she enjoyed it and that's the thing it's like you get the gift and it's like um They didn't give you what you liked. They gave you what they liked. You ever gotten one of those gifts? It's like this, this gift was more about them than it was about you. Such poor gift giving begs the question. How often in worship do we offer God what we like rather than what he desires? Here, God, I have no idea what you like. So here's a bunch of stuff that I like. I, uh, God, I got you something. I got Here's something for you, for me. I hope I like it. You know, um, the songs I like, the good deeds that are important to me. Look, God, I brought you a gift. So this month at church, we're looking at some of what God has to say in the Bible about worship. And he says a lot, and we're not going to cover it all in the four weeks that we're giving to this this focus. Um, We started our study, and we looked at Psalm 95, and then we looked at Psalm 96. They kind of work in tandem. Um, In the past two weeks, we've learned that worship is setting our mind's attention and our heart's affection on the Lord, praising Him for who He is and what He has done. We've seen that in these scriptures that that we are invited to sing, that singing is a natural expression of love, and these songs are like prayers set to rhythm and rhyme. Um, we've learned that in, in worship you get to bring an offering, that that is, that is a biblical aspect of worship, and it is a tangible way to show both faith in God and worth to God. I mean, listen, when you value somebody and you want to develop a relationship with them, you oftentimes bring a gift. I mean, the young man on a first date brings flowers. You're going out to uh, to eat with folks. You're going to eat at their house. You bring an appetizer or a drink or a dessert. You you bring something. It is a way of showing that that you value the other person and that you and you value them enough. It's like I'm going to bring a gift. That's part of what an offering is. Um, we've also learned. That worship deepens when you have a personal reason to sing. A personal reason to praise. That God has done something for you personally. And that elevates your worship beyond just like going through the motions. It becomes your own heart. So now that we've got this base understanding of what worship is. I want to take the next two weeks. And I want to look at two examples of worship that we're given in scripture. Because they're kind of on two different ends of it. Um, And then uh, we'll, we'll fill in the gaps over the years to come. We'll look further into worship. But today, I want to um, I want to look at King David. King David uh, has this beautiful picture of worship with passion and expression. Next week, we're going to look at Nehemiah because this, the worship service in Nehemiah is, is much, much more reverent. But this week, we're going to look at David. David's a good person to look at because the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. All right? Like, I, I would, I would, that's something to aspire to. We're going to look today at a time when David danced before the Lord with, with all his might, and, and then contrast his worship to that of his wife, Michael, all right? But, but you've got to understand the context of this passage. Um, and the context really begins about 90 years before David dances, you see, 90 years before, Israel was at war with a nation known as the Philistines. Um, it was about the year 1094 BC, and they are battling in a place called Eben Ezer, and the Israelites were losing. And so they were like, we need help. We are losing this battle against this seafaring people, and, and we need help. We need God's help. And so they sent for the Ark of the Covenant, all right? And so this is kind of a replica of what the Ark of the Covenant, what we think it might have looked like based on what God says it ought to be built like in, in, um, in Exodus. And uh, it's this uh, wooden box that was layered in gold, and it had these two cherubims sitting over the top of it. And inside the Ark were were significant artifacts from God, like like manna from when they were wandering in the wilderness, the stone tablets that 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 god 's own finger carved the ten Commandments on uh, they were in the ark and and the ark symbolized the presence of God, and so when the ark shows up, and there have been other battles where it 's like, okay, the presence of God is with us, and they, they they fought harder, and they would win the day they said we need, we need help, we need god 's help, bring the ark to Ebenezer. And we are going to beat these Philistines once God's with us. Well, on that day, then they summoned the ark, the ark came from Shiloh. And when the ark shows up, the Philistines, they were afraid. They were like, oh, wow, their God just showed up. But they said, but nonetheless, we're here to battle. And and they started fighting. And when the day was done, the Philistines... Obliterated the Israelites, whooped them bad, and whooped them so bad that they went and they took the Ark of the Covenant away from the Israelites because they just they captured it. And now the Philistines, they, they take the symbol of the presence of God, the symbol of Israel, and they're going to take it and they they take it to a city called Ashdod, where they had this big temple to their god, a god called Dagon. Now, again, the Philistines are seafaring people. So Dagon, if you could imagine, he's going to have the body of a man, but the head of a fish, all right? And I I looked online to see if I couldn't find some artifacts, but none of them were really good enough to show. But just use your imagination of, all right, you're looking at a big statue of a man with a fish's head. And they set the Ark of the Covenant right in the temple, right before Dagon, as though it is having to bow down to Dagon. Because that's what makes sense to them. They said, uh, you lost, which means our God is stronger than your God. And they set the Ark of the Covenant down at the foot of Dagon. Well, so the next morning, they come in, and that big statue was knocked over, and it was face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. They're like, this is weird. Maybe, maybe some kids are playing a prank or something. So they, they hoist old Dagon back up, and said, there, Dagon is conquered God of Israel and the next morning they come in and that statue is knocked over again but this time its head is cut off and its hands are cut off a sign that says listen this false God is nothing to the to the true God and his hands are cut off because he can do nothing for you and his head is cut off because he's just he is he is as dead as Anyway, the whole bunch batch of crickets that are laying over there that you know I don't know if there were crickets back, but I've seen lots of dead crickets so it came to mind. Um yeah, that's how I roll. Um, so so the so their Dagon is uh he he's he's busted up. And then to add to that, the people of Ashdod were breaking out in these these tumors, these big sores, like it was just they were covered with it, and, and people were sick, and people were dying. And they, and they started, after a while, they were like, <sighs> everything was fine before the Ark of the Covenant came here. Everything was fine before the God, the Israelites were here. We need to get rid of this thing. So they send the Ark of the Covenant from, from Ashdod, um, and, they, and they send it to, um, um, they send it to Gath. Which, by the way, let me, let me back up and give you this. On the day that, they, that the Philistines captured the ark, th- this is some of the story that's pretty good too. All right? Word goes back to, to Israel that says, oh my gosh, we've lost an Ebenezer and we've lost the ark. And, um, and there's this high priest named Eli. He had two sons. They were, they were worthless men, but both of them were killed on that day. All right? Now, one of Eli's sons has a wife who is pregnant and um and so word comes that that her husband has died and that when eli the the father of that son hears word he falls out of his chair and breaks his neck and he dies and so on this day all right the the ark is lost the high priest's sons are killed the high priest dies out of shock and then this woman in her grief goes into labor but it's a troublesome labor she dies but before she Passes away, she names her child Ichabod, which means the glory of God is gone. Now I just like like there was there was a bad day. It's a bad day. Now I, I really think about like what kind of complex that kid had. I mean, he grows up without a dad, without a mom, and his name commemorates the day that the glory of God has left Israel. Like that's that's just a lot for a kid so I, I throw that in there for some of your bible trivia um ichabod the glory of god is gone So, all right so the ark goes from ashdod to gath and again same sort of thing happens people are breaking out in tumors there's pestilence people are dying and they're like we cannot handle this god of israel so they send it from 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 gath to a place called ekron and when the people of ekron see the ark coming they're like what are you doing? Are you trying to kill us now? We don't want this thing. And But, but it lands at their place. Same sort of thing. Uh, they're breaking out of tumors. People are getting sick. People are dying. And after three towns of this, they were like, Philistines were like, we cannot handle this God. And we need to send him back. And so what they did is they, they, they fashioned a cart, a brand new cart to be pulled by two oxen. The cart had never been loaded with anything else, all right? They were going to try to make it as pure as could be. Two oxen that had never pulled anything before. And they load the ark up on the cart. And then they, then they said, all right, we're going to send it back with gifts. And they, they fashioned golden tumors, all right? Little golden things that resembled the tumors that broke out on them. And they put that around the ark. And they also put five golden rats. I don't know why they chose the rat, but each rat was to symbolize the leader's of the Philistine cities. The five Philistine cities. And so golden tumors. Golden rats On, an, on, a, on a cart. And with two oxen that are never pulled. And they point those two uh, beasts of burden. Towards Jerusalem. And they say. Smack them on the hind end and go. And it's off. The ark. Gets pulled to a town called Beth Shemesh. And the people of Beth Shemesh, now these are Israelites, all right? They see the ark of God coming. God is returning to Israel. This is great. And they rejoice and they celebrate and they, and they make sacrifices to God. But some of the men there, they were like, there's some cool stuff in the ark. I, I want to see. And they look inside of it. And God did not appreciate their irreverent behavior. And 70 men were killed in that moment people of Beth Shemesh, they get really scared. And they're like, they ask this question. and This is 1 Samuel 6.20. It says, the men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? The answer to that question is, there's not anyone who can stand before the judgment of God. A sinful person does not stand in the presence of a perfect and holy God. You do not treat him with contempt, and you and you treat him with great respect. They said, "In whom shall go up? Who? And whom shall he go up away from us?" They're like, "We got to get him out of here." They send uh, some men from a town called Kereth Jerim. They come and they take the ark, and they they take it to the house of a guy uh, a guy named Abinadab, and they said, "You keep this," and they consecrate his son. To watch over it. And they lock the door. And they shut it away. Because. Who could stand before this God. We, we, we can't handle him. And our lives are threatened by him. For 70 years. The Ark of the Covenant remained in the house of Abinadab. So 70 years after that. David becomes king. David is favored by God. God has given him victories over, um, over, over the Philistines. He's allowing him to restore the nation. He's allowing him to build good things are happening for David. David is a man after God's own heart. David says, God likes me. Let's go get the ark. Let's bring the ark of the covenant out of Abinadab's house and let's bring it back into the temple where, where God can be worshiped and honored. And so he sends over there to, to get it. They're like, how do you move the ark? And they say, well, the Philistines built a cart and they had oxen that had never pulled it. And that's how it got to this place. Says, so let's do that. Let's, let's build a cart. And they build the cart and they get some oxen and they start to pull the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And along the way, one of the oxen stumbles and the, the cart shifts. And one of David's men, a guy named Uzzah, with good intentions reaches out his hands and says whoa whoa we don't want to drop the ark and he puts his hand on the ark and he dies now you got to think back these guys are thinking back of history here they said all right at ebenezer god did not give us the battle we lost the ark then then the ark goes to ashdod and trouble breaks out over there the ark goes to gath and trouble breaks out over there The ark goes to Ekron, trouble breaks out there. The ark goes to Beth Shemesh, 70 men lose their lives. And now, all of a sudden, a guy with good intentions reaches out his hands and he's struck dead. So we don't know what to do with this God. Oh, we think, I'm not sure this God accepts us anymore anymore. It says, David and his men were very afraid and they placed the ark in the home of a guy named Obed-Edom. They said, here, you keep this. We have no idea how to relate to a holy God. After three months, word gets to David that the household of Obed-Edom was being blessed. This time, David consults God's word on how do you relate to a holy God? And he finds out you don't put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart pulled by oxen, you fashion poles and you carry it. And so they fashion poles the right way, and they go to Obed Eden's house and they, they slide the poles in on the ark, and the men, you gotta you gotta imagine this. The history. Lots of people have died because they didn't know how to treat this God. And they really didn't know if this God would allow them to worship him again. And so these men, they pick up the ark and they're nervous. They're like, okay, here we go. You ready? No? I can't stand here all day. And they take that first step. Charlie, you still back there? They take another step. And the Bible says they took six steps. And after six steps, they are so delighted that God has not killed them already that they put the ark down and they have a worship service right then and there. Here's a biblical principle for us to grasp. You know, it's so easy to... Just follow the patterns of other religious behavior out there and assume that that makes you okay. But listen, don't just follow patterns. Do as David did. When David got it right, he got into God's word and he found out for himself what God's word says. All right? So many people think that they will rightly relate to God based upon their affiliation with the church. Don't do that. You could rob yourself of a lot of great things. Maybe even put yourself in harm's way. No, God has given you his word. It's his heart and mind. And it is to your good to read it for yourself. I'm going to do my best to tell you what's in there. But really, you doing it yourself is so much more valuable. So, so if, you haven't, if you haven't learned to love God's word, give it a try. Change things for you in a good way. 2 Samuel 6 14. They're now carrying the ark into Jerusalem, and there is great celebration because God is going to be with us again. He's been gone. The glory of God has been gone for 70 years. But now it's back. He's with us again. He is allowing us to bring his presence back into Jerusalem. This is great. This is exciting. And in 2 Samuel six fourteen, it says, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. When was the last time you did something with all your might? Yesterday I was... Um, Trying to put together a shed so I could store some of my stuff and I got these concrete blocks that I was Had to dig down into digging in clay is really frustrating I was out there sweating and then I pick up this heavy thing and I drop it into the hole and the hole's not deep enough And I, oh, I gotta pick this thing up. I I used a lot of energy yesterday In fact, i'm two pounds lighter today because of it. Yay When's the last time you did something? I didn't, didn't even use all my might. When's the last time you did something with all your might? What happened? You wore yourself out. Yeah, I got a young man back here with, uh, in his, uh, the, what, what, what's the right word? to just disc- Dress blues. Thank you. I really hate it when I'm stupid in front of y'all. That bothers me. I bet you you've recently done something with all your might. There you go. What happens? You're tired. You're out of breath. You're wondering, is there anything left inside of me? David danced with all his might. Have you ever worshiped God in such a way that you physically wore yourself out? Maybe Sally has. Have you ever worshiped like that? Where you were just out of breath, tired... This is the picture that we're given, that God gives us from a man who's after God's own heart. He worshiped with all his might. David danced till he was tired. If you grew up Baptist, you may be aware of this stereotype that Baptists don't dance or are against dancing. Anybody ever pick that up? Yeah, some of us know that. I never understood why so many old Baptists were against dancing. I remember a little old lady, she'd tell me, oh, my daddy said, we don't dance. We don't dance. Now I got my guesses as to why. Why Why Baptists don't dance. Um, I, I remember one Sunday, the songs were energetic, kind of like we do it here. And I watched this fellow attempt to move his body to the music. And he was so off rhythm, so... Awkward. I was watching that and I'm going like I'm not sure what he's doing, but I bet that's a sin. <laughs> like like it's just wrong to do that. said, maybe the stereotype of Baptists, that Baptists can't dance, it was not a statement of prohibition, it was a statement of observation. Because somebody saw a group of Baptists over there, they were all like, whatever, and they're like, y'all can't dance. <laughs> you know, there's a difference between dancing for the joy of the Lord and dancing in some seductive manner in a nightclub. Big difference. David danced till he got tired. It says he wore a linen ephod. Now, uh, that was a plain garment that the priest wore. Even though David was king, he remembered where he came from, that, that he was once a simple shepherd boy, that he was, he was no better than the next man, uh, that, that apart from the Lord's hand, that he would not be in such a place of leadership. And he did not want to worship from a, from a place of self-importance. He wanted to worship as a servant of God. And he danced till he was tired. When was the last time you left a worship experience out of breath and tired? Verse 15. It says, So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. In verse 16. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David Leaping and dancing before the Lord. and she despised him in her heart. Now why, why is David leaping and dancing? It's because for him, the presence of God has now returned. Like think about where our worship could come from. See, they had the symbol of God's presence. You know what you and I have available to us? That God sent his own son Jesus who lived a sinless life. And because of love for you and I, he gave his life on a cross becoming our sin. All right, every wretched thought I've ever had, every deed that I've done, every wrong thing I've called somebody, everything I've ever taken that I should have, every sin, he became that. And it died on the cross so that I can be forgiven, so that you can be forgiven. And then he says, if you would trust him, he is going to put his spirit in you. David is excited because the presence of God is coming into Jerusalem. You and I can have the presence of God in us. How exciting is that to you? We have a reason, a greater reason than David to worship with a passion and an energy that goes beyond anything else that we do in life. And so they're coming into the ark, and David is dancing before the Lord. And up in this window is his wife, a gal named Michael. She is the, she is the daughter of the, the former king Saul. And it says, and she despised him in her heart. She thought that it was inappropriate. That that, was, that, that, was, that, that kind of behavior did not fit a king. What, 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 what is he wearing down there? Who's he with? Why isn't he riding in on some horse? covered in gold and dressed in majesty and look at how important i am and instead he's down there like a common priest dancing in front of look at who those people are filthy and he's just what is he doing she thought he should not behave in such a common manner verse 17 and they brought in the ark of the lord and set it in at his place inside the tent of david that had pitched for it, and David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and distributed among the people the the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed to her house. He sent them away with parting gifts. He says, all right, here's a cake to eat, here's some meat to eat, and then I'm going to give you a cake of raisins. Now, raisins back in that day were considered an aphrodisiac you know david is thinking he said god's back with us now everything's restored go be fruitful and multiply we're going to see god's kingdom expand so that that means more israelites that's what the cake of raisins is for verse 20 and david returned to bless his household but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly overcovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all else in this house to appoint me as prince of Israel and the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. He says, it's before the Lord that I dance. I wasn't dancing in front of those gals. I wasn't dancing in front of the people. I was dancing before the Lord. I was so excited about what that, that God would would relate with us, be near to us. I was so excited that God would be with us. I couldn't help it. And I didn't want to be a king. I just wanted to be a, a, a regular person like everybody else. And I just wanted to celebrate God. I didn't even realize they were all there. I wasn't putting on a show. I was just loving my God. See, in worship, God is the audience. I remember when I first met Jesus and started going to church and I got excited about God and I wanted to sing. And this is no lie, all right? I'm I'm just singing loud. It's everything I got. And I... And the people in front of me probably was off key. But I wasn't singing for them. If you're self conscious about what other people think, man, God wants you to 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 quit to, to turn your eyes away from them and you worship before Him. You play before Him. He is the audience. And I love verse 22. He tells his wife, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. The NIV says, I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Undignified. Humiliated. How many people attend a worship service and merely observe. Never lifting their voice. Never lifting their hands. certainly not lifting their souls. You're just there to watch. Critique. Judge. Not going to sing because I'm afraid of being heard. Not going to celebrate because I'm afraid of being seen. So cognizant of what. People might think that we, we, we refrain from offering anything to God. And then in verse 23, the Bible says this. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Why do you think God wants us to know that? Why does he let us know that in the context of this portion of Scripture? How do we go from David dancing before the Lord and then Michael has no children the day, all the days of her life? What is that? She was barren. You know, far too many people, their lives are barren and worship for them is not a joy like Michael They sit upon whatever lofty position they can imagine themselves, and they sit in judgment of others. Rather than celebration of who God is and what he has done, they're going to critique, and they're not going to avail themselves. Every time we enter worship, every time we enter into a worship service, you're going to feel the tension. Do Do I have the heart of David or the spirit of Michael? See, the heart of David forgets about the people and just wants to love God. The spirit of Michael is totally considering what others think. And is this appropriate? Is this dignified? Does this fit my pride? And you you get there. Listen, I've, I've, I've studied the scripture many a times. I feel that tension every time. God, I love you. Who's watching me? y'all feel it too? What are you going to do? Will you let, will you take the steps to be like David, who was a man after his God's own heart, or will you be like Michael? And the Bible says she was barren all the days of her life. Will you lift your voice? Lift your hands. Does does the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, move you in worship? Does it does does it even give you reason to move? We're so reverent, which is a good thing. We're going to see that next week. But but we can't sit in judgment. And that's the thing. That's the thing we got to learn about this worship thing. It is before God. And and if it is and if it's what God wants, if it's what God honors, what honors God. I will become even more undignified than this. Picture God gives us of worship. A man after his own heart. So Let me close with this. You might not have that reason to celebrate. You might still be like all oh, those people back in the day. And you're like, I'm not sure that God would accept me. If you knew all the things that I've done, why would God accept me? Why would he love me? Why would he save me? I, I don't deserve heaven. But there's good news for you. It's Good news for all of us. God is a God of grace. He doesn't give you what you deserve. He's loving. And he did for you and I what we couldn't do for ourselves. And that's what we celebrate these next few weeks. We we come together on Good Friday and celebrate that, that the Christ, the perfect sinless Son of God, bled on that cross, paying the penalty of yours and my sin. You couldn't do that for yourself, but he did. And then we celebrate that he didn't stay dead. It could be an amazing celebration each and every Easter Sunday is just electric for myself. But have you got that? Have you received the forgiveness of God? It's a gift he gives to all men for all of sin and falling short of the f- glory of God. For the wages of sin have go- is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And like any gift, you have to receive it. You can't just leave it laying there on your porch. you got to bring it in. Have you received the gift of God given in His Son, Jesus? Have you trusted in what God has given to you in Jesus Christ and believed and given your life over to Him? See, without that, God's presence may have be, might as well be in the Ark of the Covenant, buried in some Philistine town. that's it's far from you. But if you have trusted in that, now His Holy Spirit's in you. His promise. I just ask you today if you have not trusted Jesus and the promises of God, today's a great day to be saved. And I would be delighted to talk further with you about what that means. And then what I'll ask you to do just linger, hang out. I hang out till one o'clock sometimes, just talking to folks. I'd love to talk to you. And you can say, Pastor Bob. How do I give my life to Jesus? How do I receive His Holy Spirit? I'll be happy to tell you about that. Father God, I thank You for this beautiful image of worship. And I pray that if there be any here today who have not experienced the forgiveness and the life that You would give them, and they have not received yet the Holy Spirit, you'd grant them courage to linger. Courage to stay and find out how does that they can take that step. You've already taken so many steps toward them. How they can take that one step of faith that can begin to change everything in life for them. And for the many of us here, God, who have trusted you, we're here today because... You've done a great thing in our lives. And like David, we celebrate you each and every Sunday. You've done such a great thing for us. We could not have done it ourselves. God, I pray that <clears throat> that we can grow in our capacity to love you in worship. We would think less about others and think more about you. Thank you that Jesus gave his life on that cross for us. Thank You that He is a risen Savior and that He is the Lord and that You would grant us His Spirit inside of us to guide us. Thank You for Jesus. We pray these things in His name. Amen.